Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, thanks for singing, everyone, and it's great to have you here, and uh, wow, I've missed you. I missed some of you more than others, but uh, Joanne, I didn't miss her at all. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> you asked for it, Joe. I love you. Uh, uh, but it's, it's so nice to be back, and I, I'm so grateful for our, our leaders, and I, I'm grateful for our staff, our team. Also, I just want to say how grateful I am for many of you who are faithful in your giving, in your generosity, and your commitment to serving. Because of, because of your giving and our commitment together, I was actually able to go and teach some teachers and pastors in Africa. And, and I have a few pictures. You know, one of the things I realize is when you go somewhere to visit, even if you do this for vacation, you know, you go somewhere on vacation, you bring back pictures, it's hard to capture the, the feeling of what happened, right? And so I don't want to bore you with a lot of, uh, you know, stories, but I just want to share a few things as a way of saying thank you as a way of saying thank you to being the kind of church that is open to learning and saying, God, if you open a door for us to serve and to care and to help others, like we're going we're gonna to walk into that. Not only I as our pa the pastor, but yet you would do that in your life. If God opens a door that's scary and risky and you're not sure, like if you, you know what to do, just step into that and say, God, you'll teach me. When I left here a few weeks ago, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I had no idea of the cultural shock and the, the complexity of poverty, but I just have a picture. I just want to show a picture of some of the great leaders that I was with. Uh, these are some of the greatest leaders in a, in a movement, kind of an evangelical uh, movement in Ethiopia of 12 million member church. They would take over Quebec overnight. The whole province would be the church. 12 million. 14 Bible colleges unleashing a movement of Jesus that we have no idea. Like our secularism struggles on whether we might believe in God are going to be a tidal wave of Christians coming our way. And every time I was with them and I saw the brokenness and the poverty, I looked for someone to tell me that they did not believe in God. Like you have every reason not to believe in God. Tell me you don't believe. And I was trying to explain this to them and they said, you know people who don't believe in God? I was like, about that. <laughs> I have people who have like a bad week and they're ready to give up on everything. They're like, what? They're, they're, there's a joy and a hope that, that God has given to them that in the most difficult circumstances, they're like, we can't wait to be at church because Jesus is alive and our lives are never going to be the same. And I was like, like, we have a poverty here that money cannot fix. Jesus must heal that for the sake of the church and the world. And so I was really blessed to be with these brothers. And, you know, right around where I was staying, I had a moment of just looking around, and that's one of the sections where people live, like just a slum of houses that have been put together there by whatever people can grab. And around there is a developing city as well. Like it kind of messes with your head a bit. You're like, oh, I just saw like a really expensive car, and there's kids who have no water. Like I'm not sure how to even process this, like what's happening. And to be from the West is also to be given a bit of the curse of like, I'm going to fix this until it punches you in the face and it's like, you cannot just fix this. We cannot just fix every problem in the world, but the hope of the world is the local church there where people are serving and leading and growing and thinking about how to change their culture, develop leaders, co correct corruption, just the life of the local church is there. And so I, I, I'm so I was so like moved by being with them and by teaching and by representing our church. You know, I was trying to explain, like I represent a very small part of Canada, you know, and, and I'm not that special, but, but I'm here and I want to let you know that you guys are inspiring our faith. 
But I want to tell you one last thing about another experience I had when I went to Egypt, because I landed in Egypt, which is another region, and a few weeks ago I, I made a, I slipped when I was speaking. I said, I'm going to go to Africa, and then I'm going to go to Egypt, right? And some of you were like, Egypt is in Africa. Anyway, so, so the, the whole idea, right, is that, but when you're there, actually, it's very diverse. There's a real tension about different parts of Africa because of like 50 different linguistic languages. I was trying to explain to them, like, we fight over two languages. They're like, what? Like, it's almost like you can't fix that? I'm like, no, we fight about everything. <laughs> like, fifth, like, languages, tribes, regions, people don't understand each other. But when we landed in, in Egypt, in Cairo, a friend who picked us up that became our friend, he kind of showed us one of the most difficult places where people live in Egypt, which is kind of a, think of a mountain that as you go up the mountain, most of the people are doing this with a donkey or they're walking. We were, luckily we were in a car because the person picked us up and we're going up this mountain and all along the mountain are people who are picking up garbage. All along. And I just have a picture just to show you of how they do this. They just collect some of this garbage and the, the, the person who's with us said, when we get to a point of the mountain as we're going up, I'm just going to ask you to open the windows of the car so you can smell what it smells like to be here. Like, if I could give you that smell, like it would be burned into your mind forever. And then to see little kids running around, sitting in a lot of the garbage that's there. And it seems strange, but they're collecting some of the garbage. Because some of it, if it's recycling, they can sell it and make money. And this happens all day, every day, in 50 degrees, 60 degrees heat. And I was like thinking about all the complaining things. I'm like, I don't have internet. I want clean water. Like, this is long. I'm jet Like, I was like, what, what happened? What's going on right now? But as you go through this experience and you're just saying, Jesus, you've been so good to us and we're so blessed and we have a responsibility to give back and to be generous and to respond and to care, we got to the top of the mountain and there is the moment where you see it all. The church on the cave, on the side of the cave, you'll see a picture of it. This is the church. Seats over 5,000 people. But the only way you get to this church is by walking among the poor. The only way you see this church is by going step by step on this mountain with people who have nothing. And those people who have nothing often will be on Sunday mornings in this church worshiping Jesus as Lord. Singing and learning and excited and thankful for one meal and they're back. And I have times in my life, you have times in your life where you had a bad week and you're not sure if you're a Christian. One day you will meet a brother and sister around the world and they'll say, what? You struggled with that. So God, I think, is going to inspire us to learn and to grow and to be faithful. So just think about, we, we all have bad days. I'm not saying it's, we're not going to have bad days. But just don't let that bad day be the only way you view your life. Don't let that difficult situation be like, I don't know anything. I'm like, you know, it can be challenging. On the side of the mountain of this church, there's all these Bible verses. And at one point I stopped and I noticed a special section of Bible verses because of the series we're in, and you'll see it on the slide. It's the Ten Commandments carved into the side of the mountain. I wondered right away, did you, like, I'm like, how did they do that? Who did this? Who did they pay? They're like, we don't know. People just wanted to make sure that people never lost the Bible and they could see it on the side of the mountain. And I don't know if you can tell, like just on the side, it's like a little burning man, which is Moses and the burning bush effect. It looks sketchy, but it's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, is that Moses burning or what is that? <laughs> it's art, you know? You just got to let it go. And I thought about, like we are in a series on the Ten Commandments that all Christians in the world know very well. They're very much aware of them. They know very much how important they are. They know very much how important they were to Jesus and how Jesus brought the people back to a way of life that required that they experience God's freedom with a new set of boundaries and structure and life-giving way of being the people of God together. If you've been with us, you know this. We've taken the past few weeks in the summer to teach you what it means to hear some of the Old Testament stories, the stories of God's people in the desert, God's people in deep struggles, God's people as slaves, and what it means when God sets his people free. And the reason this is so important for us is because we live in a world that has warped the idea of freedom. For us, freedom, whether we like it or not, is always means I get to do what I want, mind your own business. That's like freedom for us, right? But not for people who are learning the Bible. Freedom is much more we are set free now by now allowing God to form us and to give us guidelines about how we're going to live, to shape us so that we would be recognized as his people. 
And God does this in the Bible with the Jewish people. He's doing this with them and he gives them the commandments. And this morning we've landed on like a juicy one. Maybe you don't know any of the commandments, but you know this one. It's like, this is the one. People are like, I don't like the other ones, but this one's important. You know, we're looking at the commandment like you'll see on the slide there. And we're talking about like, what does it mean that it was so important? You can go to the slide with the commandment. I'll just read it. What, what, what does it mean? The, the cave, yeah. You shall not commit adultery. Hopefully by now, you know the other commandments, or at least you kind of have them in your mind by heart. You know, you, you know about you shall not murder, you shall not have other gods, honor your mother and your father, keep the Sabbath, all those. If you've missed any of those because you're new here, or you're like, you know, I missed church, I'm not sure what I believe. They're on YouTube, you can watch them, but we've landed on this, this one. And I must tell you, this is a hard one to talk about. It's hard because we think about, like, why does God care about what we do with our lives, our relationships? And it's very simple. I mean, in the ancient world, adultery is one of the most complicated sins that for us kind of loses its meaning. Because for us, many of these issues about our relationships are private. I would say to you, it's none of your business. I've been a pastor long enough, and I've been with enough people over enough coffees in enough homes to know when I bring something up with someone, and I'll say, hey, you know, I've noticed something about your marriage. Quickly, I get the look. You know what the look is? It's none of your business. Nobody in the Bible thinks that way. People in the Bible know that their relationships are interconnected with other people. If someone's marriage is falling apart, if someone's having a fight with their kids, if someone has a disagreement with a neighbor, all of those are connected, and so God has to heal those. This is, this is our team making me feel like I'm in Africa. <laughs> it's acting up, it's fine. Uh, the power would go out randomly in Africa, so whatever. We'll get used to it. Uh, it it's, it's the idea that God says, your relationships and the health of your relationships are so important to me that I want you to understand that there's a commandment I will give you that is essential and is about what it means that you are people who keep your words, primarily a covenantal word with another person, okay? Now, if you're, you study the Bible, you know, like, I've been a pastor long enough, and I've been with young adults on university, and they'll often say, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about marriage, you know, the Bible, and, and it's kind of true, because the Bible had a different category for that. But in this commandment, we have some of the most important values of what marriage means in the ancient world that people made a covenant to one another to love each other and that God was present and aware of that covenant and that they should keep that covenant no matter what. Now, let me say something really, really important. It's very, very important. This sermon is not a shame sermon for people who've struggled, had a divorce, have gone through a difficult marriage. It's not that at all. But the minute you touch this verse, people are like, oh, I think he's talking about me. I better change religion. Like, just stay with me. Okay, just stay with me. Jesus didn't come to tell us that God is a God of shame, but he is a God of order and honesty, and he calls out sin, and he's like, and if you don't deal with this, it will destroy your life, because God loves us, okay? So that's important. So I want you to understand that the idea of adultery is breaking the vow of being with a person, this loyal vow, not because you're a bad person, but because God knows and the people know that healthy marriages are the fabric of a healthy society. They, in the ancient world, this was so important. Now, again, for us, it's very, very different. But if you lived in the ancient world, other religions also had a principle about this because they knew that if people were in, in a society where relationships were always breaking up, even the blessings of God to one generation would not pass to the next generation. Even the land or the gifts of God would be lost in fighting and infighting. And over the years, I've always struggled with something, and I'm going to be really honest with many of you. I've really struggled with the fact of, like, as a pastor, I've been with people on the side of a failure and a, just struggled, and they had committed adultery. And then I've been on the side of those who are feeling the pain of adultery being committed against them. I've been on both sides. And I've had to sit on both sides of this. And when you're with people and the broken relationship of betrayal happens, the brokenness, some people on one side say, it's none of your business, I can do what I want. And the other people on the other side who've been wounded and betrayed are always asked, where was God? Why did this happen to me? Why do I have to watch my kids now for the rest of our lives go through lawyer fees and fighting and arguing? Mike, there's a command about the sacredness of this unity. And also in the Bible, you have to remember that there is a principle where for some men, it was very common, they would marry multiple wives. So polygamy was a very common thing. And if you don't believe me, being in Africa taught me that very, very quickly. <laughs> meeting with people that in a cultural setting, some men will have more than one wife and it's a way of caring for multiple women and, and it's a whole other sermon series. Don't worry about it, okay? 
But adultery is the sin, the commitment of saying, I made a covenant to be in this relationship and to give myself fully to this person. And then an impulse kicked in and something happened. I thought about what I could call the sermon. And I thought about what it means that God was trying to teach his people something that we still have to learn today. That we are not our impulses. We are not people made up of urges. You know how hard it is to teach that to us? Like all of you, every 15 seconds will have an urge to pick up your phone. You are not the urge to pick up your phone. You are not the impulse of being like, I'm attracted to somebody, gotta go. You are not that. In the ancient world, people understood that those creatures of creation that lived on their impulse were animals, not humans. And God's like, I will remind you that I created you in a way so that you are not like the animals. You are not just your impulses. You are something much more beautiful than that. And if you don't trust me and let me shape you in a new way, you will always be a person of impulse. That, that, I got to do that. I feel that. And you're disordered. And you know how, how this is so much in our culture that we don't understand it? The people who invented pop-ups on your computer know that. How many of you like lose your mind when you see a pop-up? You know, pop-ups are so bad at some point that now when you use the internet, your internet browser has an anti-pop-up mechanism to keep you from seeing the pop-up. Right? Because pop-ups are enough to trigger something in us that we should just be impulses. See something, buy that. See something tempting, click that. Do that, do that, do that. And what God's teaching his people is like, you are not formed to be like that. You are not created to just live like that. But I will teach you what it's like to be those who've surrendered deep inside your life to me, that you're shaped by something much deeper. Because so much of adultery is connected to something so beautiful. Like I grew up in a church setting where I always struggled to think about, like, is sexuality good? Is intimacy good? Is loving other? Is that good or is it all bad? Like, I was always stuck. And I, for a long time, I was like, it's all bad. Everything's bad. Live in a cave. Don't look at anybody. Oh, my goodness. Don't smile. Jesus hates smiling. Whatever. Like, you don't even know. At some point, you don't know what to do. So we've taken, like, this beautiful thing of God saying, no, no, I love sexuality so much and its power that I, you have to contain it. It's like taking a fire and lighting it in a forest. God's like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to burn the whole thing down. It's not meant for that. It's beautiful, and it, needs to, it has to be held and contained in a beautiful way. I was talking to my wife about this as I was thinking about the sermon. And I was thinking, telling her how I grew up struggling with this idea of the beauty of sexuality and love and relationships and the blessing of God saying, oh, when love is real, you're going to experience having families and kids and all that. And all along, evil is there ready to destroy that. Let's, let's mess this up. Let's create an impulse. Let's create a reaction. Let's just burn all this down and just watch and see what happens. And I thought about maybe this commandment more than any commandment needs to be seen not only in what we shouldn't do, but what it looks like when we do do something. Right? The commandments are often like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And if you're a kid, you, you know, after a while, you're like, I can't do anything. God is a God who doesn't want us to ever be happy. That's what you learn. But what if this commandment was framed in a positive way? How would you say it? How would you frame this command in what you shall do? Would it be different? And I think it would be different. It would be completely different. You shall commit with all of your heart to love someone you've made a covenant with, with, with in a way that nothing else will tempt you to ever love something else. Now, that's a long commandment on the wall of the church of the cave. I'm like, it's so much easier to say, don't commit adultery, Right? But after a while, you forget it's not just about the things you're not going to do. It's about all of the things you are going to do. I've been a pastor with young couples preparing for marriage. Some of you are in relationships. You're, you're thinking about dating. It's just so beautiful when you find someone that you want to grow close with and you want God to do something special. You better commit to say, I'm going to do everything I can to grow this relationship, to water my marriage, to, to be honest and to be truthful and to, to resolve conflict, I'm going to do that. And that is not easy. That is very, very hard. It's very, very challenging. And in the Bible times, it was not just about that. It was about saying, if you miss this commandment, all of the other blessings I have for you will all fall apart. They will all disconnect if especially you had a child in an infidelity context. In the ancient world, if even you had a child out of wedlock or out of the, the context of a marriage, right, that child's life would never be the same. Some of the rabbis even would say that many of them would not be able to own property. 
It would change who they could marry. Do you see the fabric of this that we hear is like, oh, just God doesn't want people to have fun. No, it's not about that at all. It's about something more, more complex. And God said to the people, I want to make sure you never think that this is not a big deal. And this is what he says to them in another section of the Bible. I'll just put it up there. It says this. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. How many of you think that this is a little bit mean? Right away. You read this and you're like, this is why I don't read the Bible. I get to sections like this and I'm like, God sounds like a mean God. He sounds like he's like, because we think when something happens, our natural default is like, they just made a mistake. How many of you would say that? When I make a mistake, I wanted people to say, it's just a mistake, don't worry. God's like, there's, t- there's some sins that are mistakes, but they grow from a heart that's never surrendered to God. And this is one of those. That if people around you think that I'm a God that does not punish adultery, they will never take me seriously as your God. Remember, God is teaching his people to be his people. He's teaching them what it means that they need to learn to see their lives not only as this is my impulse and what I want. God's like, no, no. When people see you, they will get a reflection of the kind of God that I am. And they need to know that I'm a God that blesses his people and a God that takes things seriously. It's that serious. And we read this and then we're left. And I want to just encourage you to think about the fact that Jesus is going to come and he's going to be born. And if you know about the Bible and you know about the New Testament, you know about Jesus, he knows all of these commandments. He's very much aware of these commandments. And one day Jesus is going to be preaching to people. And and as he's preaching, he's going to stop and he's going to talk about anger and revenge and murder. He's going to do that. You'll find in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's the most famous sermon section in the Bible. That was the commandment of last week. So what do you think is the next commandment that Jesus is going to address right after murder? The one of this week. Everybody who's listening to Jesus knows that Jesus is working his way through the commandments by giving them some deeper meaning and deeper understanding. And they'll be like, wait a second, we know the commandments. Jesus is saying, it's not enough not to murder, but if in your heart you harbor a kind of revenge and an anger against your brother or your sister, and you don't make that right. It's like you're a murderer. People are like, oh my goodness, Pastor Michael did a great job. Listen to it, it's online. But then he does it again with adultery. This is what Jesus will say. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. You have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. We know, we just read the commandment. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in their heart. Jedi mode. People are like, what did you just do? What just happened to us? Jesus is about to take something that most of the time in the ancient world was something that was just used against women. Where women were the ones who were seen that maybe they acted inappropriate and they had an affair and they were the adulteress. And men was like, well, I had multiple wives. I don't know. And all of a sudden Jesus will say, no, no, you men, you men, you too. If you look at a sister in a way that is just objectifies her and responds to your impulse that you forget what this life is about, what honesty is about, what loyalty is about. You do this in a way. You've committed adultery in your heart. You've let something stir in you and now it's going to grow. And the Bible talks about that. That's how sin works, right? It's like this thing that's like, well, it's not that bad. You know why? Because nobody knows. And it's not that bad because I don't know. You know what? I don't know when you're committing adultery by lusting. Like, I have no idea. You don't know when I'm lusting. It's all just inside. And Jesus is like, let's not just take the law and make it something that misses the point of the law, which was to deal with your heart. Because Jesus knows something that you all know, that you can hear the Bible your whole life, you can know the Ten Commandments really, really well, and never believe them or live according to them. You know how many churches are full of those kinds of Christians? If I catch you. (laughs) I'm kidding. But... It's people who hear the Bible. Oh, I know the Bible story. Oh, yeah, I used to teach Sunday school. I used to. You're not living any of this. Jesus knew this problem. He knew that they knew the commandments. He knew that some of them were teachers of the Bible. So he's like, you found a way to, to walk so close to the line of things. So he's like, let me just raise the bar of the line. If in your heart you longed to lust after someone, you have, you have gone to a place where God now has to deal with your heart. They would have been so offended. Oh my goodness, you can't tell us. You don't know our hearts. Jesus is like, I don't, but you know your heart. 
Do you have areas of your heart that have to be surrendered to God that are a reflection that the ways of the world and the impulses of the world are already in you? The devil sometimes doesn't even have to make us bad. He just has to make us like impulsive. And then just sit and watch. And God's like, that's not my people. You're not going to be formed that way. I thought of a story that I read years ago of this man who would go to a village. And he would always go to this village with two dogs. And he'd bring these dogs and we'd go to this, the square of the town. And the, the, the people would come out and he would start to bet. He'd say, you know, I have these two dogs. Anybody want to bet? They're going to have like a fight here. And, uh, and anybody want to bet which dog thinks he's going to win? So people would bet. And he would make all this money. One dog, the white dog would always be the black dog. Or then the black dog would always be the white dog. And one day somebody in the village said, it doesn't make sense. How come every village you go to, you always know the dog that's going to win? Like, how are you tricking us? Every time you go somewhere, you always win and we always lose. And he says, you know what, I'll tell you my secret, but you can't tell anyone. It's very simple. The dog that I feed the night before always wins. The dog that I don't feed is too weak to ever win. It's a simple story about how our inner lives, especially our impulses, sexuality, these beautiful things, by the way, that come from God, grow in us in a way that if you feed a certain type of sinfulness, if you feed a a certain type of lust, if you feed in a culture of pop-ups and images, all the things that you should have, you should have what you want. You should have, sooner or later, that will win. But if you pay attention to it and say, God, I will not feed that. I will not let this linger in my heart. I will surrender that and trust you. We are being honest about a God who says, I love you too much to let you destroy your relationships. I love you too much to let you destroy the legacy I have in store for your kids and for your family and for the future of your life. If you're just going to throw all of this away, do not ever commit adultery. But what's profound about Jesus is not only that does he address this and push it further, Jesus also tells people that there's hope for those who have committed adultery. It's beautiful. Jesus knows what it's like for people who have made mistakes and feel like their lives are never going to be the same. I've been with people who've made mistakes and they feel the shame of that. They wish they could take it back. They just want to know that they can be forgiven and Jesus offers us that as well. Many of you know this, that when Jesus is around teaching, they will bring people to him. They'll bring him a woman and they'll say, Jesus, this woman, we caught her in the act of adultery. Everybody get your rocks ready. It's going to be great. And Jesus is like, maybe that's not the best way to interpret the law in this moment. And Jesus says, those of you who have no sin, throw the first stone now. And he begins to correct a way of using the law, of making people who made mistakes always feel their shame, always feel the the pain of that. He'll say to the woman, just go and don't do this anymore. It's almost like a sense that there's healing even after somebody has sinned. Can I just encourage you in your life that the Jesus that we serve is not just a Jesus of the law that says obey the rules or God punishes you, but a a God, Jesus reminds us of a God that says there is guidelines, follow them. But if you don't, there are consequences. God loves you. Don't live that way. I want to turn our attention to communion and I want to tell you one thing that Jesus does that nobody expects. As he's teaching people one day, they ask for something that all of us wish we would have. Every time I read this passage of the Bible, I think of us today. I think of people that I know that don't believe in God. I think of people that I know that are atheists. I think people that I know that are like, I'm done with God. They'll say, I'll believe in God if you give me a what? A sign. So many people. So I'm like praying that they're driving on the 40 and they see an angel. I don't know. Praying that they're driving on the 13 and there's no traffic one morning. And they're like, there is a God. All these signs. They ask Jesus. Jesus is doing signs all the time. And one day, Jesus is going to be talking to these leaders, and they're going to say, I'm going to kill myself. Should have done it earlier. Okay. Jesus says, signs. You, you want signs. That's what you want. You think a sign will help this. And as Jesus is talking, he uses the word adultery, which you'll see on the slide, in a way that you never expect. This is what it says. He says, then some of the scribes, Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But the, they answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus will use this phrase two times. He won't just make adultery about intimacy and relationship. He won't just say it's about how God wants to protect you from impulses of thinking that you just live like without a structure, but then he'll take the same word 
that has to do with breaking your covenant to our inner relationship and it'll apply it to the people's heart as it relates to God. Think about it, how it would be so much easier if we could just talk about all those people out there who committed adultery. But not me. I'm doing great. Jesus is like, no, adultery is something that also seeps in the spiritual lives of people. And he says, for many of you, that is what you've become. You've become those that are best described as an adulterous generation. How many of you, if you were honest, if I said that to you, you would be offended? A lot. I would be offended. For Jesus to tell people, your hearts are so far from God that you think that more signs is going to heal what's happening in your heart. You think that if I give you another sign, and then he says, you know what? I'll give you a sign. You, teachers of the law, go back and read the prophet Jonah. Go back and read Jonah. And I just want to show you how profound this moment is. When Jesus says to them, you will read Jonah. Because in Jonah, I'm going to give you two simple characteristics of an adulterous generation. Because they exist still today. They're not like just old ideas. They're still in our hearts today. The first thing we know about Jonah is, you'll see them on the slides, you can maybe remember them, is Jonah saw miraculous signs and they were never enough for a heart that was not surrendered to God. Jonah saw God do the most amazing things and when he got to the place where God wanted him to go, he got mad. Can you imagine that God blesses us enough to see him at work in our lives, trust him. We sense that he's at work in beautiful ways where we feel like, you know, I'll never, never doubt God. I'll struggle in my relationship with God, but I I don't doubt that God has been at work. I need more signs. God's like even Jonah and all the signs of Jonah didn't help his heart. And the other thing too, there is no lasting joy and purpose outside of God's goodness and healing for an adulterous generation. That to be an adulterous generation is to think that one day when I have some other thing that God didn't give me, I will be happy. One day when I have this other thing that's not found in the goodness of God, I will feel whole and I will feel at peace. That's that's the whole system of the world that we live in. And Jesus says, if you think that more signs will help this, you've minimized how important it is for you to surrender your heart to the ways of the Father. I'm not sure what it's going to take for us to learn this. Because more and more as I pastor people, I realize that all the signs in the world will not help them surrender to God. We're so accustomed to being in a culture that makes us and what we want and how we feel that God should meet those needs. Now, now, fix it. How come I don't, And the minute you get that, it changes. Or like, I, I, we just can't even keep up. And God says, there's something that I can do that can heal this. That my son Jesus will come and he will restore something in you that will remind you that even after you've made those mistakes, even after you've maybe acted in a way that you know is so inappropriate and so unacceptable, what Jesus does is able to heal your lives because Jesus comes to fulfill all of the law. He comes to hold all of the law together and he says, come and see how I make you people who are not just people of impulse, but people who are formed by deep, deep worship. People who are ready to let God change you and transform you. And even if you need an exercise this week, Just think about all the times you feel like an impulse to say something, to do something, to be angry. Just say, God, I don't have to be this way. You're healing something in me. You're teaching me to grow and to trust you, both in how I speak and how I live and how to respond and how I think. Do not commit adultery. Beautiful. Profound. And and if we had time, we can look at so many other ways that Jesus addresses this gift of God for deep intimacy in a loving relationship. And he says, if you break that, it's like a forest fire. Forest fire. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and I'm going to invite us to think about what it means that Jesus comes to this table with his disciples. And they know the law. They know the story of the Exodus. And one of the things that you might not know is that this meal that we celebrate here happens with the people when they're being set free from being slaves in Egypt. As part of that meal they experience what's called the Passover meal. And that meal is forever the meal of what it means that God doesn't just set them free from a physical location. He's about to form them as free people forever. So that wherever they go, they are set free because their hearts are set free. And when Jesus invites them to take this meal, they know the story. They know the story of Moses. They know the story of the desert. They know the Ten Commandments. They know, they know, they know, they know. And let me tell you, after being in Egypt, where it was like 60 degrees, I'll never take it for granted. 
to be like Jesus, like Moses, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. It's so hot. No fans, no nothing. And Moses says to them, listen, tonight is the night that you will experience freedom for the first time. God is going to set you free. And Pharaoh is going to send you out and you're going to worship. And Jesus will use this meal to teach his disciples what it means that he is setting them free. And that he's setting us free. And in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to come to this meal. And I don't know if for you, you just need a time to think about all the commandments and all of the ways that maybe the world is getting into your heart and into your mind. Maybe the ways that you need to surrender to God. The deep things of your life. For some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus before. You've never gotten serious about following God. You know the Bible, you can sing the songs, but your heart is always drawn to the next thing, something in the world, someone else, some person. It's like the, the, the growing of an adulterous way in your heart. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You can't let that happen. Let me heal this. Let me heal this in a way that you will know that only God's goodness and my power on the cross can make you whole. Only that. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a second. Mary, so you can just play. If there's one thing God could heal in your life, what would that be? One thing you need God to heal, what would that be? Picture a woman caught in the act of adultery in front of Jesus. For years, she believed no healing was available. For years, she had been shamed, used by men, treated like garbage. And Jesus says, I see you. This sin will not have you anymore after this day. Go and sin no more. I have fulfilled all of the law. Even adultery cannot hold you. What do you need Jesus to heal in your life if you were standing in front of him? For some of you, you've forgotten what it means to be joyful. Jesus must heal that. Money will not heal that. Ask him to heal that. For some of you, you just need to ask for forgiveness. Lust has gripped your heart. And Jesus is ready to heal that because you are not an animal that is controlled by every impulse. You are created in the image of God. Jesus can heal that. As the band leads us, I want you to think about that because as you come up this morning, I'm going to ask you to bring to Jesus the thing he must heal as a reminder that he's the only one who makes us whole. Nothing else will do.
As we just uh, prepare for communion this morning, as Pastor Dom just mentioned earlier, we sing and just even reflect on that song, how that's a song that we sing to just anchor us and to center us on Jesus and who he is and what he's doing in our lives. But our prayer is as we sing that song and as we turn now to this sacred meal, to the table, that we be those who don't just, just believe in a, in a certain sense of the word, but that that belief moves us to a deeper trust in God and to what he's doing. That that belief moves us to what it means to then commit and to live out the, these commandments in Jesus' ways and Jesus' purpose in our lives. And, and just as we do that, as we commit, as we come up, just even trusting that Jesus alone is the one who nourishes us. That Jesus is the alone is the one who gives us the strength that we need and the one that sets us free and heals us to live in a different way in our relationships and to model something different. And so just as we prepare to come up, if you're just new here or you're just not sure maybe what you believe, you're just visiting and you're exploring things and maybe you haven't been baptized yet, just want to invite you uh, just to know there's no pressure to come up. In fact, we just invite you to stay seated as you are, to know that you're welcome and that you're participating just as you sit. Uh, but for, for those of us who are just ready to come up, we're going to uh, just invite you to come up section by section. The, uh, we have a couple people who are going to kind of guide us through that. And uh, as you come up, you're just going to take the cup and the bread and sit back down. And then just as you're sitting, just use that time to continue to reflect on the, thing that, the, stuff, the things that Pastor Dom called us to. The things that we need to surrender or that you just need to ask Jesus to restore. And so, yeah, we're going to, again, come up by section. So come up as you feel that. you remember the passages in the Bible that talk to us about this meal, 
the writers use one of the most difficult and painful human experiences in all of life that is often connected with adultery is that Jesus was betrayed by his friend. And if you've ever been with somebody who's experienced the pain of a broken relationship, it's being with someone that you love and trust and they betray you. If you feel that, Jesus knows that feeling. He does. And he gives Judas the cup. Can you imagine? For any of you who are here and maybe you're watching online and you feel that you've acted in ways that are adulterous, lust has gripped your heart, maybe you've even acted in inappropriate ways, can I just say to you that the cross heals that? That Jesus has a forgiveness for you. That as you surrender, you are really forgiven and set free from that shame. That's the gift of being part of a family, of a church that takes the cross seriously. You are really set free. My first Sunday when I was in Africa, I got to the church and it was all these people singing and dancing and worshiping and I was like, what's happening? And the host that I was with took me by, by my hand and separated our group and I got nervous. And he sat me next to somebody and he said, this person here will translate for you while you're in church. I was like, okay. So the brother I sat next to understood enough English to translate in Amharic, one of the many tribal languages of Ethiopia, enough to share with me what the pastor was saying. Or we'd sing a song and after the song was done, I didn't understand, he would tell me the title of the song. So I'm like, amen. Sitting with him and it's hot and sweaty, bees, flies. And after we do this one song, he says, this song, this song, brother, is the song of Jesus, our Lord. It's Jesus, our Lord. And it's almost like he, he thought that I didn't understand him. And he says, no, no, Jesus is our Lord. And then he hugged me. And I started to cry. I'm like, I I can't even speak this guy's language. I don't even know his name. But Jesus has done something that makes us brothers right now. Because Jesus is our Lord. He knew and I knew that on the cross, Jesus did something for him and for me that made us brothers in that moment. In the other part of the world, only Jesus does that. To be a Christian and to break bread together is to be able to tell to each other what Jesus has done for you. What has Jesus done for you? How has Jesus set you free? How has Jesus made you whole? And if you don't know how to answer that question, you better get to a Bible study. Fast, it's coming in September. Every one of us should be able to say whenever you, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. If your kids do not see that in you, they will never follow Jesus. All the church services will not help them. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, broken for you and your forgiveness, and your healing, and your hope. Let's take it together. And in the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, not just the Ten Commandments covenant, the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing my death, the Lord's death, until He comes again. Let us take it.
together. In a few minutes, I'm just going to close our time together. And I want to remind you, if you're here, maybe you're watching online, and this is kind of new for you. Like you're ready to learn more. You sense that you've tasted all the things of this world and you realize they're just not the thing that makes you whole. They're not the things that set you free and you want to talk to someone. We'd love to kind of talk with you to share more about how Jesus changes us. And we also have some wonderful leaders just in our prayer space there. If you just want to pray with someone, we'd love to just encourage you and help you. And if you're here and this is just a reminder for you as we move into the fall to maybe get some things deep in your heart in order and say, Jesus, you need, you need to be the center because you are setting us free. And we want to live lives that model that to other people as well. So let's just stand. Let's be close in prayer. Father, we thank you around this sacred meal that you sent Jesus, your Son, our Lord, for us. When we were lost, he came looking and he found us broken, struggling, sinful, and he began to heal everything about us. And we thank you for how the power of the Holy Spirit is at work now, teaching us to live as those who have been made free by the cross. Protect us this week from a world of impulses. Protect us from a world that says we should respond and follow every urge without realizing that some of those in the wrong context will destroy us. Help us to be those who take your teaching seriously and to know that there's incredible blessing that awaits us as we trust you with our lives. That not only us, our kids and our grandchildren will be blessed because we believed you, Jesus. As we go, may people sense that there's a deep joy about who we are and what you're doing in us. Help us to share this with our kids and with our friends in ways that point people to you. Would you be glorified in our lives this week as we model what it means to be the church in the world? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you. God bless everyone. See you soon. And have a great week.